Hi, this is Pastor Emily McGinley from Urban Village Church, Hyde Park, Woodlawn. If you've been to UVC, you'll know that we seek to be three things, bold, inclusive, and relevant. We know that there are countless folks across the country and out there in podcast land like yourself, seeking a message that will bring insight, hope, encouragement, and joy as we do this thing called faith. Please consider making a financial gift to help us with this work of inspiring, equipping, and sending out agents of gospel life and inclusive love. Just go to www.urbanvillagechurch.org forward slash give. Thanks for listening, and God bless. Listen for what God is saying to you. Then God said, let us make humanity in our image to resemble us so that they may take charge of the fish of the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the earth, and all the crawling things on the earth. God created humanity in God's own image. In the divine image, God created them. Male and female, God created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fertile and multiply. Fill the earth and master it. Take charge of the fish of the sea, the birds in the sky, and everything crawling on the ground. Then God said, I now give you all the plants on the earth that yield seeds and all the trees whose fruit produces its seeds within it. These will be your food to all wildlife, to all the birds in the sky, and to everything crawling on the ground, to everything that breathes. I give all the green grasses for food. And that's what happened. God saw everything he had made. It was supremely good. There was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden was the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of a man. May God add a blessing to the hearing and living of this scripture. Good morning, church. Um, this is a really interesting situation because I thought I had given uh, Leander a different um, translation, but I didn't, and you saw it, um, project, the difference projected on the screen, which will make for some interesting Bible study conversation later on in the service. Uh, but for now, let's pray. God, we are grateful for the gift that it is to come together um, to, uh, out of the midst of this heat wave, um, just find ourselves in, uh, in a place of, of thawing out and um, even more uh, finding warmth in community, um, in your spirit, in deeper understanding of what it means to be loved by you. And so we ask that you would clear away the clutter of our minds, that you would, uh, your spirit would speak to us and that we might hear you and, and in our hearing find ourselves um, transformed, challenged, and called to greater purpose in this world. 
speak through me in spite of me so that your work might be done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. First of all, I'll say shout out to Vern for uh, our sermon series art today. Uh, worked very hard on that, and we're grateful for that. The first time I encountered dragon fruit, I thought to myself, this is going to taste amazing, right? Look at that. And when I cut it open, I grew even more excited. Dragon fruit looks like the epitome of what you would imagine an exotic fruit to taste like, right? Or look, look like. And if you've eaten exotic fruits like uh, mangosteen, rambutan, uh, lychee, passion fruit, or even mango, you know how delicious these delectable nature's candies can taste, right? So I eagerly took a bite, and you could not imagine the depth of my disappointment <laughs> when what I experienced was the texture of a kiwi paired with the flavor of a potato, right? <laughs> I was almost angry at the betrayal, right, of my expectations. And I felt that somehow there was something wrong with the fruit, right? So I tried a few more just to confirm it. But sure enough, that's actually just how dragon fruit tastes, right? Turns out I needed to adjust my expectations. <laughs> but this idea, though, right, that if something doesn't match our expectations, that it's the other object or person's fault, it shows up in a lot of ways in our lives. In 2014, Duti Chand, an Olympic track hopeful, came under suspicion because of her unusually fast race times. Come to find out, she has higher levels of testosterone. And she was told that, along with other uh, female Olympians, that if she wanted to compete, she would need to take hormone suppressants or undergo surgery that would remove naturally occurring internal testes. Now, this is true also for South African runner Castor Semenya in 2009. In fact, uh, the year that, uh, that this, uh, this ruling was given um, for uh, uh, Duti Chan, four uh, women did undergo these surgeries. Eventually, in the case of Duty, the International Association of Athletics Federations was given two years um, to prove that unusually high testosterone levels gave uh, uh, women an unfair advantage to those competing in the female categories of sport who didn't have that. So um, kind of a higher court stepped in to, to say, you know, wait a second, like, you got to prove this. So in a statement after the hearing, they said, although athletics events are divided into discrete male and female categories, sex in humans is simply not binary, right? Nature is not neat. So what's going on here? Sure, there are concerns, right, that countries might recruit female athletes with high testosterone levels, and it might even possibly lead to an increase in just anyone who identifies as female uh, competing in that category willy-nilly, right, as some officials are concerned. And I could talk about, though, also about how, in many cases, the athletes under scrutiny were women from developing countries, often poor and mostly brown. I could also talk about how there were no cases where male athletes were placed under scrutiny for having high levels of estrogen. But so, you know, let's pull back the lens here. All right, what's going on? Now, our brains are fascinating and miraculous processing machines that have been developed and honed for most effective and efficient use over generations and generations. And one of the ways that our brains have become so effective and efficient is through sorting. 
Sorting helps us quickly make decisions about what belongs with what and where. And it, makes us, it helps us make distinctions between what is safe and what is unsafe. That's probably like the basic kind of intention of it, right? Sorting helps us know the difference between a sound that could be urgent, like a baby crying or a horn honking or a hungry lion roaring, right? Um, and one that can wait a minute before being responded to, like an email ping or your mom's ringtone. Just kidding. <laughs> Always answer your mom's calls. Uh, sorting, though, is important because if we didn't have it, if we had to give equally significant attention and brain, brain power to every event in our lives, we would be exhausted by noon. Sorting is useful, and it is biologically necessary. It's also a problem, right? It's a problem because it's a mental shortcut. And mental shortcuts can lead us down paths we don't mean to follow. So implicit bias is a mental shortcut. Sexism is a mental shortcut based on patriarchy. Gender categories are also a shortcut. People like Duti Chand or Semenya Kester present us with the reality that the broad divisions we make, while helpful at times, if we take those divisions as ultimate truth rather than starting point for understanding, we can end up telling people that there is no place in the world for them. There's no category for you, so you don't exist. Or you have to adjust yourself to fit the category. On top of that, we end up reducing our understanding of God's creative work in ourselves and in the world around us. Now, we read two, these two creation Bible stories. Uh, stories. Uh, did you know that there are two creation stories in the Bible? Sometimes people don't realize that. Uh, we read them because they each give us a clue about what our tradition tells us that God had in mind when creating the world, and more specifically today, humans. Genesis 1 acts like a cross between sort of like a poem and a detailed order of events. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. There was evening and there was morning. Then God separated water from sky. There was evening and there was morning. This is like basic early sorting, right? Order out of chaos. But then things get a little more juicy, right? God creates the plants, flora and fauna, and God saw how good it was. There was evening and there was morning. Then God creates night and day, seasons and stars. God saw that it was good. There was evening and there was morning. By then, God is cooking with gas because by, six, by day six, there's like this big creative push with creatures and livestock and fish and birds and da -da 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 -da, humans. And here, something different happens. God breaks that narrative. The poem breaks and, and God says, let us make humanity in our image to resemble us so that they may take charge of the fish of the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock and all the earth and all the crawling things on the earth. And so God created humanity in God's own image. In the divine image, God created them male and female. God created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fertile and multiply, fill the earth and master it. And here, having completed the project with a big sigh of satisfaction, God saw everything and it was supremely good. What does it mean to be made in God's image? Does it mean that God is human or male or female? Now the term, the Hebrew word used to describe this creature is Adam, which is a generic term that means humankind. So you kind of actually saw the difference. I'm not quite sure how this happened, but in the two different translations, right? Um, the generic term Adam uh, has uh, been changed by our tradition, has been turned into Adam, right? A, a name, which is not the same as a term. Right? It's important to understand that Adam is not a name. 
It's not a name that refers to a man. It's not a name that refers to a woman. It's a word that encompasses the fullness of the male and female spectrum. But the point isn't gender here. If you look again, you'll see that the reason humans were created was for a purpose, to care for the earth and then to multiply in number. Genesis 2 says it similarly in a different way. It's a story, a story about our meaning and our purpose and our relationship with God. The Adam is made from the stuff of the earth, from the clay or dirt, and comes into being first and foremost to care for the garden that God created. But then God notices that the Adam could use a partner. And so God creates another creature that the Adam could be in relationship with. See the difference of language that I'm using compared to what was read before? All of that gendering of that language is the translator. That's the translation. That's not the actual language, original language. And so you begin to see the ways that all of that lays this foundation, right, for assuming certain things. So the Adam is made from the stuff of the earth and is there to care for the garden, but God notices that Adam could, the Adam could use a partner. And so God creates another creature that the Adam could be in relationship with. And when the first Adam comes into relationship with the second Adam, that's when there is a distinction. I am a man and you are a woman, the first Adam says. While there are definitely differences between the two passages, the, the, the one through line, though, in both is that God affirms our distinctiveness in, order of, in the order of creation, right? So, so humans are the only ones that God speaks to. And what we can know, what is true in both passages, too, is that when it comes to these earth beings, that it was that they were created for a purpose. In both stories, God is saying, I'm going to create you so you can tend to the garden, so that you can take care of creation, right, in both stories. Then the element and the defining character which sets them apart is less their sex organs, with the exception of this mandate to be fruitful and to multiply, but more about their call to cultivate and care for the earth. Are you following me? So it's more about why you're here than what you are. Okay? And this is important to understand when we do that. Because we, when we do that, we can have the confidence to let go of some of our mental shortcuts that do not help us, right? Shortcuts that limit our ability to understand the gifts of God's good creation when it shows up in people like Duti Chand, Semenya Castor, and well, even dragon fruit, right? But these passages are super important because these early stories have laid a foundation for how we understand and engage the conversations about gender and gender identity. How many of us have heard God made Adam and Eve, not Adam and... Okay, there we go. God actually just made Adam, right? It's important for us to understand it. Not only as Christians, but as people who grew up in a culture, our entire culture has been deeply shaped by Western Christian interpretations of our faith. Some of our deepest assumptions about gender and gender roles can find their roots in these two passages, and yet for all that long, complicated, and layered history in our passages for today, what makes for a man and what makes for a woman are pretty vague, right? Now, we're starting this sermon series about gender and gender identity, and it's a discussion that uh, is not only widespread in our society, it's also consistently shown up in the lives and bodies of UVCers. From those trans persons among us, who have been in the midst of transitioning, some of us remember Tara, to parents who want to help their children's identities develop and emerge healthfully and fully, to those who are undereducated but, but want to learn more, right? want to have some language. We're hoping that this sermon series will be a way to offer folks um, 
uh, to understand conversations about gender and gender identity a bit more fully and faithfully. But the, you know, a big caveat, right? We are not experts on this topic. And also, like to add to it, it's an evolving conversation. Probably by the end of this month, what I'm saying today will somehow be outdated, right? But you know, we gotta just keep trying, right? We, we might say things that are not entirely accurate, or we might trip over our explanations, and I hope that you will co correct us, correct me with grace, right? And it would be easy for us to say that, well, since we don't know everything accurately, we just shouldn't say anything at all, right? But this is a topic that we believe that we know that Christians and the church cannot afford to be silent on, right? Because there are bodies and lives on the line. And there are plenty of people say Christians or church, Christians or churches saying things already. And if we don't have a can't engage the conversation, then we are not doing anyone any favors, right? So let's journey together over these next few weeks. Let's lean in and live into what it means to be a community that welcomes our whole selves and the whole selves of others as we try to follow more faithfully in the way of Jesus. So in order to make sure that we're working from um, some common language, I'm going to give a few definitions. Uh, the first is sex, right? Not the act, not the fun one, right? But, but the classification, <laughs> right? This is about the anatomy of a person's reproductive system. Next is gender, uh, which can either refer to social roles based on the sex of the person, like a gender role, uh, or personal identification of one's own gender based on their own internal awareness. Now, my reproductive system profiles as female, and my gender identity, like when I wake up in the morning and I think to myself, like, I'm a woman, right? Like, or I don't even think about that because I just sort of know that, right? This means that I am cisgender. So those who, are, who present and live a gender that is the same as the one that they were assigned with at birth are called cisgender. Gay or straight, doesn't matter. Cisgender, if you uh, align in that way. Now, if my reproductive organs were female, but I thought of myself, if I kind of just knew myself to be a man internally, that would mean I'm transgender which is an umbrella term that is inclusive of both transsexual and transgender, which are separated by how one dresses themselves, so that's transsexual, versus how you understand yourself, even up to altering your body, but not always, um, which would be transgender. Does that make sense? You tracking? Okay. Um, now, it's important to note that not all trans people undergo medical interventions to affirm their gender, um, like hormone replacement therapy or, or uh, surgeries. Trans people are trans regardless of whether they engage in medical interventions. Okay? It's about how you identify. Now, if you couldn't tell then, you can probably tell now that sex assignment is more complicated <laughs> than most of us have been led to believe. Now, for sure, there's a strong binary, two ends of the spectrum. Uh, but there are enough who are born intersex, like Duty and Semenya, which is a general term to talk about a person who is born with a reproductive or sexual anatomy that doesn't fit the typical definitions of male or female. There's enough diversity to warrant a conversation about spectrum, to move beyond those binaries, which is something we'll unpack a little bit more next week. So for those of us whose experience is cisgender, it might be difficult to grasp this difference between sex and gender identity in an empathetic way. This description I th by uh, Jennifer Boylan, a trans woman who wrote a book called She's Not There, might be helpful. It was helpful for me. She said, my conviction had nothing to do with a desire to be feminine. I didn't want to be feminine, but it had everything to do with being female, which is an odd belief for a person born male. It certainly had nothing to do with whether I was attracted to boys or girls. Being gay or lesbian is about sexual orientation. Being trans is about identity. 
What Jennifer highlights throughout her story is that it's not a choice. And unless you find yourself in progressive and privileged spaces like she did, the decision to embody your identity can be incredibly risky. The risk is exponentially higher for trans women of color especially. Last year, 82% of the fatal anti-trans violence acts were against persons of color. So it's a particular point of courage that even with this deadly reality, it doesn't stop them from living their truth and making their mark. Now many of you are probably familiar with Laverne Cox, one of the main characters on the show Orange is the New Black. I, I know I, I referenced it last week too, it's just a coincidence. Um, but uh, Laverne is the first openly transgender person to receive a primetime Emmy nomination, the first to appear on the covers of Time and Cosmopolitan magazines. She has worked tirelessly to share the story of trans pers transgender persons and especially trans persons of color. More recently, she's committed to um, more activist work as we've seen these different rollbacks happening in laws protecting trans persons under our, our current government. And here she is um, sharing a little bit about her own experience of transitioning. I had to prepare myself for being harassed on the street every single day. So I would leave my house and I would be misgendered um, pretty much the second I walked out of my house. Um, I'd be misgendered and harassed on the subway. I often feared for my life and this is a daily occurrence. And so before I medically transitioned, I kind of existed in a gender non-conforming space. So this wasn't new for me and I grew up being bullied. And I'm from Mobile, Alabama, so I grew up being bullied. So, so most of my life I've dealt with being harassed on the street, being bullied, and it had just gotten to a point where it was so hard. I had imagined, right? So I had imagined that I would start my medical transition and I would start to be able to blend in and people would realize I was trans and I could be safer and I could move through my life with more safety and just pursuing my dreams. And about three or four years in my transition, that was not happening. I would still walk down the street and people would still misgender me, harass me, make me feel unsafe. And I got to a point where I did not want to live. And so I was seriously thinking about committing suicide. And I remember when I was contemplating suicide that, I remember when I was contemplating suicide that I took time to type up notes that said, my name is Laverne Cox, mm -hmm. I should not be referred to by any other name, and my gender pronouns are she and her, I should not be referred to by any other gender pronouns. And my plan was I was going to jump out of um, a really tall building, because there's a lot of those in New York. And I would have two notes in my pockets, just in case someone missed it. And I would plant the notes all over my apartment so that I would not be misgendered in my death and dead named in my death the way I was being misgendered and disrespected in my life. And it was a really difficult time, but for some reason I decided not to. Um, kill myself. I, I was in therapy at the time and I started um, studying with this amazing acting coach in New York who gave me a new lease on life and I decided not to commit suicide and I am so grateful because I wouldn't be standing here. understand that I am here for a divine 
reason. The universe has shown me. I am here to tell you that each and every one of you is here for a divine purpose. You might not see it right now, but you are here for a divine purpose, and so you have to survive. Our culture is deeply invested in sex and gender. It has defined the edges of how power is distributed, economics are structured, education is accessed, and our bodies are policed. And so when gender and sex, as we have dealt with them, when it's subverted, it becomes a threat. And this threat and the backlash of it all is intensified by other realities like class, race, geography, and all the social realities that make up the world that we live in. Somehow, in spite of all of the harassment and messages that she had been given, in spite of all of the pain and self-negation that she had journeyed through, somehow, in the midst of the noise and the chaos, Laverne heard God's original mandate speak itself aloud in her spirit. You were created on purpose for a purpose. As Christians, we aren't just committed to this conversation because bold, inclusive, and, re because bold, inclusive, and relevant are, are important, right? We're committed because there is something that we have fundamentally distorted about God's vision of wholeness of life for all in a way that we have chosen to build life in this world. The mandate that God gave us is our central identity, to produce life and help it to flourish, to cultivate and care for the earth and all who dwell in it. These are our first identity and central purpose. This looks like Laverne Cox advocating for trans rights, articulating the disproportionate impact of trans violence on people of color. This looks like Duti Chand and Semenya Castor fighting to participate in the sport that they love, demanding that the system create a place for them too. God's mandate for us rests on our willingness to take on that expansive and abundant imagination which brought us into being, to create space for all of God's supremely good creation to flourish with abundance. In the fullness of who we are, we have been crafted uniquely for a purpose. This is the central truth from which everything else flows. Called supremely good. Made for a purpose. Created in God's image. Let us pray. God, we do not understand your creation in all the ways that you would have us do it. But we do understand that you call us to seek fullness of life for all, to embody your welcome, your hospitality, your creative imagination, so that life can flourish in fullness for all. And so help us, wherever we find ourselves on the spectrum of our identities, because they are multiple, help us to lean toward that call of cultivating life, wherever we find ourselves. And in the midst of that, maybe even find our own life flourishing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you.